0: Hello and welcome back to Twin Peaks Talk, your weekly or semi-weekly, bi-weekly, depending on a, you know, if we're we're not plagued by technical problems, we're trying to do this weekly uh, Twin Peaks recap show, and we are now on to episode four, or I guess technically the fifth episode in the series, but episode four again. Twin Peaks um, not wanting to play by the the conventional rules of TV uh, gets a little confusing with these, but um, this was uh, uh, episode four, otherwise known as The One-Armed Man, and it was originally aired May 3rd, 1990, written by Robert Engels, directed by Tim Hunter, and of course, uh, we're talking about t- Twin Peaks, created by Mark Frost and David Lynch. And interesting notes here. Uh, Tim Hunter would go on to to helm a, a, a bunch of um, Twin Peaks episodes. I believe this is the first time we've enco- um, encountered his name um, as a director, but he will be he'll be showing up throughout the season. And uh, Robert Engels, very importantly, uh, this is the first credited episode. I believe that he be- was or became a staff writer around this time for Twin Peaks. And also, um, Sean, you and I got our our, our little talk started here about um, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, and he is the the co screenwriter. So um, lots of good stuff for this episode. Um, I was so eager to get into this episode that I forgot to do the little introduction spiel. So let me uh, let me get that out of the way right quick. Uh, Twin Peaks Talk, brought to you by the Colt Film Companion Podcast, is available on all major podcast platforms. We are a featured podcast on the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com. Features webcasts and podcasts, uh, videocasts from around the world that cover a bunch of unique and entertaining and informative topics. So please check out all the fine creators over at Blind Knowledge. Uh, we are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app. Uh, for iOS and Android, that captures the latest trending topics, uh, articles based on topics that you choose to follow, and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. So download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me, and please use the promo code uh, CULTF1LM. Cult Film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of Newsly's premium service. And of course. Uh, I forgot to give a proctor, proper introduction um, to my very gracious and patient co-host, uh, Dr. Sean Travers, all the way over in Ireland, who had a book published last year, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. Called "Trauma and an American Popular cult, Pop: An American Pop Culture and Cult Text, 1980 to 20." Twenty, uh dr travers welcome back to the show thank you so much for being patient with me i know this is our second time around with this particular episode how are you doing today
1: Oh, pretty good and um, that last one was a dress rehearsal we, we've got it
0: right and you know uh, sometimes um you know sometimes i don't want to revisit something um I, i've lost a bunch of episodes and uh you know they haven't been revisited yet but uh um, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, with something when we're we're tackling an entire series, you know, Twin Peaks, you know, we we can't skip an episode, especially an episode like this. Um, so let's uh, let's start the way we usually do. I'm going to start with our little log lady intro from Miss uh, Margaret Lanterman. This is the intro to Twin Peaks episode four, the One Armed Man. Even the ones who laugh are sometimes caught without an answer. These creatures who introduce themselves, but we swear we have met them before, yes? Look in the mirror. What do you see? Is it a dream or a nightmare? Are we being introduced against our will? Are there mirrors? I can see the smoke. I can smell the fire. The battle is drawing nigh. Um, again, a kind of a cryptic dark introduction to the series and um we get started right away where we last left off with this series with um mrs palmer sarah palmer um and uh seeing bob and um she's, uh with a sketch artist um actually i believe it's deputy i think it's deputy andy that's doing the sketch art. he's a man of a of uh, many Many ta- uh, talents, I suppose, if he's doing the sketch artist. But um, lots of good stuff going on in this episode. Another another solid episode, and that doesn't really surprise me, considering the caliber of people that we have working behind the cal- uh behind the cameras here uh, with Robert Engels and Tim Hunter. Um, Overall, first impressions from this episode. I mean, we we had a, a, a one of the standout episodes last week with um, having the um, the main set piece being uh, Laura Palmer's funeral. This episode, I mean, we get a couple. I mean, there's there's plenty of of, of different set pieces that uh, are explored in this episode, but I I, I would be hard-pressed to put my finger onto one like uh, the funeral scene of last time. So um, I'll uh, uh, hand it over to you to um, kind of sum up your first impressions about this particular episode before we delve in deeper.
1: Um, the iconic scene for me in this episode is the veterinarian scene where Cooper encounters a llama who looks directly at him.
0: Which was yeah, which was an accident. I, I guess you can't really train a llama all that well. The can, I guess the llama was just supposed to walk through between um, Sheriff Truman and uh, Agent Cooper. But yes, the llama looking right at Cooper has become um, a meme. I mean, if you if it's if if you look up you know your memes or gifs of Twin Peaks, that's going to be one of mm-hmm. one of the ones that come in and. Um, also, thank you. Uh, I'll just mention her right now. CJ Spooky World. Uh, all her information is in the episode description for her fantastic cover art. Uh, with um, so, I guess I, you two have decided, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go with the uh, the 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 majority vote here. Both, I mean, she she singled out that scene for her artwork, and you're singling out that scene, and um, so I'm gonna get right on board with that. I I love. Um, I love the veterinarian scenes because, uh, um, just like everything in Twin Peaks, the it, it's it's not your usual vet office. Although you know, you don't really see. Uh, you know, I live in a city, so if I go to the the vet, um, you yeah, see a lot okay. of cats. And the, you see a lot of cats and dogs. You don't see a lot of llamas. But on the other hand, I do have friends that that have farms that that live out you know out in the country, out in the sticks, as it were. And they they have uh, you know llamas and alpacas and uh, um, s- sweet sweet animals too. But um, it, it there's something there's something so weirdly unnerving about Agent Cooper face to face with the llama. It's almost like him facing this um. Th- this this mystery, you know, like you know, you, the, like a mystery that he's never seen before. You know, this Twin Peaks case is basically going to be will b- basically consume his life for for decades, as it were, as, as it as it turns out. And so, I think that you know, if he was just face-to-face with a little house cat or, a, you know, a little a little puppy dog, it, it wouldn't have the same impact. So, yeah. It, Agent Cooper. it
1: shouldn't be there. It, it feels wrong in a, a setting like a vet's office or even a town like Twin Peaks. It, it, it's not what you expect.
0: No. And, again, but that just kind of beautifully just makes it, so twin peaks and there's a really great you, line
1: in this scene where um it, cooper says the shortest distance between two points is not necessarily a straight line and i, I think that captures the logic of twin peaks
0: absolutely i was gonna say again some really strong um i mean this this first season um and the return season three features some extremely strong writing, not, not to discount some of the strong writing in season two, but you know, it does go a little off the tracks, but right now we're still in of uh, the, we're still in the, the, the very beginning stages of um, the investigation because we, I mean, we're here at episode four or five, whatever, uh, whatever the case may be, but we've just put you know, you know, we were introduced to Laura Palmer. Um, now she's been, she's finally been buried and now the, the investigation is really starting to ramp up. Um, and we're also getting, we're getting some new characters introduced here into this, this episode. Um, because I believe if I'm not mistaken, that this is the first time we don't see Mr. Lynch yet. But I believe that this is the first time that we hear his character, Gordon Cole, talking with Agent Truman and Agent Cooper. This is the first time, I believe, uh, right?
1: It is, and it's, it's a cool introduction because we think it's just a cameo from the director. And, oh, that's quite neat, but we don't expect him to return as a, a fully-fledged character. At least I don't know. <laughs>
0: No, you know that's a, another thing that I never, as much as I try to 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 read about Lynch, and you know he 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 likes to remain a mystery. He pretty much just wants his art to speak for himself. Um, and uh, would you become so kind of obs- well, obsessed? I'll, I'll say I was, you know, I become I became kind of Lynchian obsessed uh, starting in high school with a. Uh, uh, discovering Blue Velvet, and it some a, of his. It is a old...
1: gateway into it, like art cinema, and even like cinema studies, because it's just so open to interpretation, and it begs the viewer to to work on it in that way.
0: Right, and but he always, you know, he never never really strikes me as someone that. Um, That I would would see regularly on camera, and and obviously um, we talked about this because he had a role in a in a movie that we um, talked about with the last episode that was uh, directed. Um, uh, the last director had put him in a movie, and he, he he's shown up for cameo appearances um, here and there. But um, is it just me, or is it, like we see Gordon on, Gordon? Gordon Cole um David Lynch's character in Twin Peaks and we'll 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 get more into this with the movie and the tv uh series especially when he sh- finally shows up in Twin Peaks but um it's interesting to me David Lynch doesn't seem very comfortable on camera at first and uh it would be interesting for us to keep an eye out as the show progresses because by the time we get to, um, uh, fire walk with me and in, in, in season three, the return where he's, um, he's on, on camera a lot more, he seems a lot more confident, but, um, I, I, I could, see that, that if I was, if I was used to being the man behind the camera and the, you know, um, I can imagine that one of the most difficult things to do while directing would also to be starring in a scene. Um, it's probably not a responsibility that I would want to tackle, and but there's there's certainly people that have done it uh, flawlessly, effortlessly. Um, uh, Clint Eastwood comes to mind as, as someone that is very capable of, of, of you know, carrying an entire movie, uh, being in almost every single scene, but also directing. So... Um, Kudos to uh, to both of them. And then, of course, um, have you seen The Fablemans yet? I, I haven't uh, seen it yet,
1: but I know he does have a role in that. And it's funny that you say that uh, Lynch is nervous because like, he, he would be nervous because like, it's a departure from what he's used to. But at the same time, he's so good in that role and he really fits into Twin Peaks as a character.
0: Right. I mean, it almost, it almost would kind of make sense that, you know, one of the character uh archetypes would be the the nervous uncomfortable fellow and um it kind of it works that like the head the head of the this particular branch of the fbi is is kind of uncomfortable in the field and um it's almost i i i wonder if the whole kind of hearing loss thing and speaking really loud um
1: yeah, I think that um, mirrors yeah. Lynch's like, unwillingness to listen to um, like networks and conventions of TV and art.
0: Yes, exactly what I was thinking. And that he's just, he, I think that, and, you know, if I had to theorize, um, I would give myself a, a quirk like that yeah. and um, to kind of hide the fact that I, I'm sure that he would say that one of his his strengths is probably not his acting. Um, it's 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 in his writing. It's in his physical art. When the man is just making art or in music um, and writing and directing, and he doesn't have to worry about being the uh, the face of something. Um, I wonder that if I was in that position, that I would give myself this little quirk. With having this weird hearing thing. So I would be speaking very loudly. I could be acting weirdly and awkwardly, but I would have this great cast around me Uh that was playing it straight. So, yeah, you um, need
1: that contrast. Otherwise, you you have nothing really. I mean, that's where a lot of comedy comes from. You have an insane person, and then you've got the straight man character.
0: Exactly, right. So um, I don't I don't even know how I got off on that tangent. It was really modern
1: as well, though. I mean, it was really meta. This kind of intrusion of an autobiographical persona—you see it with Stephen King and Kurt Vonnegut as well. Like it's reminding us, like, well, you know, I'm in control of this world.
0: Right. Um, Yes. Uh, Vonnegut, King, um, Bukowski did it. Mm -hmm. um, With um, uh, Burroughs has done it. um, By you know, appearing in other forms of media, um, but he's become like he's become such an icon. Um, it's just similar to Lynch, we kind of think of you know this kind of crazy. It's crazy, but it's very controlled. Hair, uh, white, whitish, you know, whitish hair. Um, almost always smoking or in in and drinking coffee and. Um, so it's interesting to have, you know, these um, these kind of characters become almost larger than themselves. They become kind of a, a persona rather than a person. Uh, and I would imagine that that would be extremely uncomfortable for people. Uh, I know it would be from if, you know, I was in that position. Um uh, but let's let's get back to this this uh, this episode because we got lots of good stuff. We've got um, the uh, so we start out with Mrs. Palmer describing um, Bob and uh, what he looks like, and then I I, I would guess that the comic relief comes comes early uh, in in this this episode with. Um, with Lucy and her obsession with invitation to love and uh, everyone actually, it seems that it seems to be the soap opera of choice for Twin Peaks is invitation to love Uh, because we've seen many characters. We've even seen some characters that I'm surprised are watching a soap opera. I believe that we saw Leland uh, an episode or two ago, um, he was getting. I think he was sedated, so maybe that's why he was watching "Invitation to Love." Uh, but um, so Lucy's watching "Invitation to Love," and just a great, uh, a great piece of comedic writing here is you know Sheriff Truman asks her for an update, and instead of you know an update on what's going on in the investigation, where Cooper is, and all this kind of stuff, she she basically gives him a week's worth of plot lines from Invitation to
1: Love. It's both moving and... like the viewer and it's kind of breaking down that boundary between the the show, the soap opera within Twin Peaks, Invitation to Love, and the world of Twin Peaks. Those two worlds are, are, mel- are melding.
0: Yeah, and I think that we brought this, we were talking about this um, last week when we had originally recorded this, is that I I, um, I kind of want to see what a supercut of all the scenes of Invitation for Love are from twin peaks i'm curious to see if there's any um i'm sure there's a lot of mirroring mirroring of um what's going on in the in the um in the the soap opera Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and what's going on in twin peaks because i mean it's it's twin peaks has kind of been described as a very dark soap opera or like the ultimate cult soap opera uh and you know there's there's definitely aspects of it but i'm curious to see if there's um if there's like a a a, if we watched all the invitation of love scenes if there was maybe like a plot line that followed through in this episode uh,
1: it says that um there's two identical sisters and one guy has an affair with one of the sisters, and he's married to the other. And that's that's mirroring Laura and Maddie because they're identical. And one of them is wearing a necklace as well, and that uh, mimics the necklace that is gone in this episode that disappears.
0: Right, because we had the episode, we had the locket initially being buried by James and Donna,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then somebody dug it up, and and then yes, we get James James's first impression. Of um, of uh, of Maddie, Maddie Ferguson, play played by Cheryl Lee, um, and um, you know he's he's kind of you know he's taken aback obviously because she's the spitting image of um, you know Laura Palmer with with dark hair and glasses. It's the first and,
1: step in her transformation into becoming like the resurrected Laura, because she says that then. She's like, James thinks that it, it is Laura. So that's the first time I think that we see those two characters blending into one another.
0: Right. Because she, you know, she she asks him, oh, you think we look alike? And he goes, yeah, I do. And then in one of his, uh, you know, one of his two facial moods, James seems to have, <laughs> poor guy. I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick on him. He's he, he is a very good actor and I do like his kind of, his his character arc here and in the return. Um, I don't like when he runs away in season two. No, I don't. I don't know.
1: That's the worst part. In the Chiefs yeah. one as well. I
0: think they're the two. Yeah, ones. It, it's. Yeah, so let's let's bathe in the glory of, of season one while we're still here. But yes. Um, we get um, and then it, thing it, it I becomes pay- him,
1: like him seeing Laura like suddenly like he loses it seems like he loses interest in Donna and I remember we, we were saying over the past few episodes that James and Donna's relationship just doesn't ring true it's it's so parodic of soap opera fantasy relationships that it, it like it has to be winking at the audience in some way and I think this that James suddenly turning all his attention to um Maddie kind of underscores that
0: Right. It's he's you know he's completely interested and in, you know he's call he's talking to Donna on the phone in the diner and she's saying that they're having a church uh church social or something. There's going to be a nice buffet and you know like you know come over and have some food and and socialize. And his way of getting off the phone with her is cuz he know while he's having this conversation with Donna as he looks up and sees Maddie Ferguson and, like, his excuse to getting off the phone is, like, she's just invited him over um, to eat, and he's like, I'm going to get some food, and then I'll be over. And I was like, whoa, like, that's real. That just shows how his interest dropped significantly upon seeing, like you said, the reincarnation of Laura Palmer. We're going to see this this great transformation um, that Cheryl Lee gives as Maddie, as, as this, as this like, the layers of Maddie. um start to start to melt away. Um, And uh, it's, it's, it's really an interesting, interesting twist. And again, like the llama looking at Cooper, that wasn't planned. You know, when this, when this show was initially pitched and developed, there was no cousin Maddie um, to speak of, just like there was no Bob. And it's one of those happy accidents that, you know, David Lynch kind of, you know, kind of was so impressed with Cheryl Lee's performance, um, was like, I need to find some way of of getting her back into it. And, you know, giving the you know, given the fact that we're working in kind of a soap opera um landscape here, what you know, you could easily do the long lost relative that looks exactly, you know, played by the same person that looks exactly like the the dead character. Yes yeah, and no
1: Trocos amnesia.
0: Exactly. Right. And um, and again, it kind of feeds into this whole, you know, interesting developments that's going to go on is there seems to be different versions of people mm-hmm. wandering around. Yeah, the uncanny double t- is brought
1: to its extreme and people have more than one double and they're, they're not neatly aligned either. They're quite sporadic the way that the doubles, they don't match up clearly
0: right it's something that i saw and i I just i i actually want i would love to hear your opinion on this um because maybe it's just me but usually when you think of the evil double um it's usually a change of hair color but we usually go from um the evil double being uh darker hair or 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 i think one of the famous things i'm not a big star trek fan but i know that there was an episode with an evil spock and what they did is they just plastered a black goatee on him and you would think that the darker character of laura should have kind of the darker hair because that's kind of what we think of this the stereotypical darker or you know if there's twins, you always get the question. I mean, I, I I went to school with twins and you know, they always were get asked, to que- which one of you is the good twin and who's the evil okay. twin? That kind of thing. The black um, blonde dynamic. Right. And I think it's very interesting that the darker character of Laura Palmer has the blonde hair, whereas the more innocent and um, naive and um, kind of um, not as uh, stressed out like Laura Palmer is, or as haunted, I, I would say I think that Laura Palmer is as, as a haunted individual, yeah. and she remains yeah. haunted throughout the series. But Maddie, you know, who has the darker hair, um, you know, it, 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 but do you do you know what I'm talking about yeah, when I we do. say these these kind of tropes?
1: I think it's another reversal in the same way that um, Lynch reverses things like outside and inside, like the curtains are in the forest. And then you see an interior of another building and it's all wooden, like the forest is indoors. I think it's one of those reversal of tropes.
0: Or even aesthetics, right. I mean. Yeah, and, and that's exactly... I, I agree completely that the easy way to be would be to, to have shifted it and to have like Laura Palmer have the dark hair because she's the darker character. But um, again, always p- playing with those tropes and those um, those kind of... Um, stereotypes that are riddled throughout uh not only pop culture but you know soap operas in particular you know we get all these little kind of callbacks going on um and then we get um we got a a, 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 before we get too far into the episode i believe that this the next scene up before they even talk to they even talk to um lynch is uh they're talking with dr jacoby and who's wearing his weird 3d glasses and doing some um weird tricks with like golf balls and you know talking about the difficulty uh, with doctor patient confidentiality while also trying to help the investigation Um, But basically saying that, you know, he not only can't he be helped because of doctor patient confidentiality, he doesn't seem to be wanting to help because he basically says that he's going to be doing his own investigation um, and that investigation is going to last the rest of his life, which is. I thought initially was kind of silly, but it's actually kind of profound um, because if you're faced with um, a traumatic event and you lose a loved one, they're always like, you know, and it's just, it's a mystery to how that, that you lost this loved one. I think that it's something that's going to torment you and that you're going to be investigating for the rest of your life. Um so uh, I
1: think he comes across who, as a very problematic character here as well. He calls Laura a woman. He says all society's problems are sexual, whereas we know Laura's problems were like rape and abuse. We know that was about power.
0: Right. Yeah, he he almost seems to be kind of almost pushing them in the wrong direction investigation-wise yeah. because he, he definitely knows more than he's letting on to. Um,
1: and it's not something you could get away with in reality if you were questioned by the police about an investigation you, you couldn't say to them no i'm actually doing my own investigation even though i'm not a police i'm not part of the police. <laughs> i'm not gonna help yeah. you I'm, I'm gonna just take this job on myself I, i've no training and I, i'm not a police officer
0: yeah He's, uh, basically I'll, i'm gonna I'll, I'll crack the case before you you ever will and you know that we, we just no, that's not the thing. And we're, But we're going to be with Dr. Jacoby up until he's um one of my uh, one of the things that I just did not see coming with the return is uh him selling uh, uh, shovels.
1: He <laughs> 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 just but, built himself into a huge hole with all of the um, shirking questions and just being weird
0: right and i think yeah not being kind of present in his own investigation he also strikes me as the kind of um psychiatrist or doctor that um likes to dip into his own pharmaceuticals a bit um I, i definitely get that impression from him but uh you know so we get that great scene we get um uh lynch telling them that you know th- it appears that there were bird bites on 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 laura um and that leads to the whole vet they they go to the vet and um
1: yeah, the it bird turns is out another trope you know the the problematic bird that tells things in investigations like the, the parrot was witness to a murder you see that trope played out a, a lot in detective stories and mysteries it's in the only murders in the building
0: Oh wow! Yeah, you were telling me that, and I have not seen that show yet. But yes, um, but you see, like you said, you see that all the time. Um, I th- you brought in that profound uh, example, and I brought in my my silly example of Turner and Hooch, the, the Tom Hanks movie from the eighties, with the dog, the dog is the witness. Um, but it's also kind of. Um, you know birds and and i mean have always been prevalent in 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 writing since since poe with the raven mm-hmm. and then you see something like um, the crow the graphic novel that became that that the hit 90s cult movie uh, with with brandon lee you know is basically the crow br- bringing back someone from the dead to right the wrongs that have come across so not it's not that
1: they sang like canaries it's, it's like a well-known phrase.
0: Right, or you're a stool pigeon, you know, you're a yeah. stool pigeon, which you know, which, which means you're a rat, you're a snitch. Um, so a lot of uh, interesting um, animal metaphors here. And we do get to meet um, the one arm man, finally, who turns out, um, you know, he finally gets interrogated and it turns out he's a, a shoe salesman and he's, you know, and that he lost his arm um, in a car accident and that it, it wasn't the same one-armed man um, in Cooper's dream that had oh, yeah, removed him.
1: We're talking him. about that. Is he a double of um, Bob and Mike? And are they the same people? Because we have Bob Yeah. Yeah
0: and having the common names of bob and mike um you know in a, in a small town or even in a, a large town those are those are pretty common male names bob and mike Zach, um, i can't tell if
1: one our man is is lying or if he's lost his memory of what he's done or if he's not the same person at all that they just look identical
0: or just another like a doppelganger or yeah. another version of another version of this person is wa- is walking around um, because we're going to see we're going to see that uh, happen um, a lot here, uh, especially in the return with um, you've got evil, evil Cooper um, trapped in the red room, uh, trapped in the Black Lodge Cooper and then Dougie, this <laughs> I don't even know what version of Cooper that is. Um uh, uh, but yeah, you know, because but one of the things that they they talk about, and um one of my only criticisms of this 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 particular episode is that when they ask the one arm man about the tattoo on his arm, he breaks down and cries when he tells them what it says on it. Um and his tattoo said mom. And the tattoo on the other one-armed man from Cooper's dream said "Bob" on it, but I think it was a very kind of clever way because he's yeah. he's breaking down and crying, so it's it becomes a muddled mess of Bob and Mom when he finally confesses. Um, and I suppose it's it's a criticism because I didn't get it at first, but I, I it's probably because the writing is a little bit smarter than I was on my first my first. Uh, Go around on this episode because I could have sworn that he said Bob again, but no, he says mom. I think it's core um,
1: duality because they sound so similar,
0: right? You you got you know two of the same consonants with an O in the middle, and um, so we also get some more comic relief. The comic relief comes from um, interesting places in this um, this episode, it comes from um. Lucy with Invitation to Love. It comes with, with Andy um, dropping his gun. And then a, a great kind of scene at the gun range where uh, we get to see uh, Sheriff Truman, Cooper, Hawk, and Andy all at the shooting range. And they all have um, exceptional skills except for, for, for Andy. But I love the way that Cooper talks to Andy in this scene. He kind of talks... Like, this is not the way that a professional law enforcement person should be trained. Like, you shouldn't have access to a handgun if you're going to be dropping it and it going off and then you can't even hit a target. But the way that Cooper just, like, comforts him, he talks to him like like an older, like he's an older brother, like, guiding him. Um, he goes, Andy, wow, six shots, six misses. Andy, what we need is practice and lots of it. And I kind of just love his his Boy Scout kind of like salt of the earth. Um just like it, it's gonna be okay no matter what kind of thing. Like the thumbs up like becomes cheesy with some people, but like with Cooper, it feels genuine. When he yeah. gives you a thumbs up, it's it's a genuine thumbs up. It definitely he's definitely supportive of you. Um and I think that just goes to to how great of an actor Kyle MacLachlan is and and how great the writing of this series is. Um other other comic relief comes from I'll let you you tackle this one because uh I think you you hit the nail on the head with this one last week. Uh the Red Corvette for for, for, for these secret meetings with Jacques going on. Um you want to tackle the the, uh, the red Corvette and the absurdity of, um, of, of of having a red Corvette for a secret covert meeting?
1: There are two in- insanely funny scenes in this episode. Uh, ben meets Leo in the forest, and it's a secret meeting. And uh, it takes place at night, and no one's meant to know about this. And then Leo just brings in this really bright red car. And um, Ben scolds him for it. He, he can't believe what he's seeing. And that Leo is dumb enough to do this. And then the other great scene is Ben exercising in front of the fire. And while he's on the phone. It's just so Yeah,
0: him. It is. Um, and I think that I mentioned this when we first recorded that uh, before I had gotten the original art, I had taken a screenshot from um, from this episode and what I settled on was the scenes of, of of Ben on this exercise bike because they are so ridiculous. It's particularly a particularly huge um,
1: fire as well. It's it's like the size of like an average wall of a living room. Look, like it's a big he's view got of like, just this giant fire. It
0: reminds me of a ski lodge or a hunting yeah. lodge. Like um because I think that actually the the way the camera pans down, I believe that we're looking at antlers hanging from the ceiling, this huge roaring fire, and then he's decked out in this truly great late 80s, early 90s uh, uh, kind of teal tracksuit, and uh, he's it's on the phone.
1: It's, it's really like retrofuturism colors, the, the turquoise and the pink.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I know that this was made in the early 90s, but it seems like this this kind of tracksuit came right out of the mid 80s. Um, <laughs> like it was a, it was a, it was a present from Audrey back when she was a child that she got daddy for Christmas. And like, you know, he on occasion will break it <laughs> out. Um to exercise and then, like, have business phone calls with him. Uh, yeah, because he's working out a business deal. We don't see his brother, but I know he's talking to his brother. He's very um,
1: angry as well. He's aggressively cycling.
0: Yes, it's angry exercising. <laughs> and um, if you've ever been to a gym, public gym, then I'm sure at one point or another you've seen someone angry exercising. And it's not pretty.
1: They don't <laughs> want to do it. They have to do it, so they, but they're not going to be happy about it.
0: No. And and also they're not gonna they're, they're not gonna allow people around them to be happy about it. And yeah, he's basically berating his brother over the phone. And then we have a then we have Audrey now, was it this episode or the, the previous episode? There's a there's a very important scene between um Donna and Audrey and yeah. It was. OK. Uh, what do you take everything. it from here? What they what the, what the, their little um, talk in the in the in the late in the ladies room of the high school.
1: Uh, yeah, they talk about Laura and um, it's like Audrey wants to be a detective for this case.
0: Right. Because, well, she wants to help solve the crime because she she thinks that it'll impress um, uh, Agent Cooper. And Donna's not certain, but, you know, they she starts putting the pieces together that these girls are disappearing, but they all started working at, um, at Horn's department store. So then we have Audrey, you know, saying that she wants to get into the family business. Um, and um, she strikes me initially as someone that would fully take advantage of nepotism and would allow herself a very cushy job. But the fact that... Um, I think that she has these feelings for Agent Cooper and that she wants to help solve the crime. Uh, I think that's the only reason that she really says, I'll start start work at the perfume counter, like at the very bottom of the totem pole. Uh, Other than that, I could see Audrey Horn. Everything that I've seen with Audrey Horn up to this point would lead me to think that she would want the cushiest job highest amount of money least amount of work and responsibility uh what say you does that does that ring true for you too
1: yeah something that that's struck me about audrey is that she, she's a kid in high school and she gets more answers for this case than a lot of the adults in the show even like those in the police force it's it's like a, a child is, is more confident than the, the people in law enforcement something that just occurred to me over the week
0: what Yeah, and then you kind of... Because you look at the law enforcement and you see someone like Sheriff Truman who's very competent and Hawk is extremely competent and and, and, and Andy, God bless him, I love him. (laughs)
1: That's making me think
0: Yeah, he's kind of like that. You almost wonder how he got the job that he got because he doesn't seem qualified for it. But he seems to be so kind of... um, Go with the flow, lovable yeah, I think somewhat they just heard him
1: because he was nice. Yeah, you right. see people getting jobs <laughs> like that a lot.
0: Sure. and I can imagine that, you know, when you're not dealing with the traumatic murder of a teenager that um, you know, there's not a lot lot of problems going on in Twin yeah. Peaks. Yeah.
1: Although I imagine files I... things. They give him something mm-hmm. very easy to do
0: yeah I, I think yeah he, he would very much be the one to um to stay at the station you or, or i I also think that he him and Lucy are just the perfect couple. Um, yeah they're that insane and,
1: couple everybody knows, but they, they like them but everyone's aware they're insane.
0: right um, and, and and you you, you want to invite them over for dinner, but you also kind of can't wait for them to leave. <laughs>
1: You're scared that
0: they won't leave. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, they're going to go on to probably have. But you know what? As much as we, we kind of make fun of them being that kind of couple, they they seem to be, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, off the top of my head, they're probably the strongest, most honest couple in Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, they're not as problematic or dark as other relationships in the show
0: no they seem the like kind of, you know everyone says that they have skeletons in the closet but i think the kind of skeletons that these two have in their closet are the plastic kind that they put out for halloween for decorations yeah. and i think that's kind of the extent of it you know i i, I don't get the i don't get the the feeling, although I don't, we will meet Lucy's uh, sister later on in the series, um, and we'll see some of the, uh, the sibling rivalry, which is a very interesting turn for Lucy because she comes off as the sweetest, uh, nicest person that doesn't seem to have, not only doesn't have a care in the world, but wouldn't let something kind of disrupt her or upset her, other than the fact that. Um, when it comes to Andy or her sister. Um, I, I, think it's very interesting. Um, but again, just great characters in this show. And I was thinking about this cause I'm not one to really, um, to, to binge watch a TV show because I, I have trouble kind of, um, with, with character consistency and whatnot. Uh and sometimes characters are too likable; they're trying too hard to be likable. But if characters are have such layers of death, depth, I can uh, you know, uh, I should be able to say that word at this at my age by now. But depth, the character depth, um, that you can't help but want to know more, and it it really helps propel you to to want to watch more of these characters and it keeps you watching even when the show quality dips you can almost rely on the fact that you know it's like you know people at work you know you might not always like the people you work with but the consistency and the regularity of of working with them at 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 one time or another they're, they're either going to drive you nuts or you're kind of you're they're going you're going to warm up to them And I think that that's kind of the genius of Twin Peaks is that it really takes its time for you to warm up to these characters because there's some very despicable characters. Um, And speaking of despicable characters, we have... um, Now, is it Mona who owns the double R? I really need a...
1: Is that who it is? Norma. Norma. Okay.
0: And and her husband, we find out... um, Something about a, a drifter sitting on the side of the road that he ran over by accident? I believe that's the crime he's being charged with? Or was it... I, I,
1: yeah, am I mistaken? Yeah, it's going to be this like huge plot line, but um, it doesn't come to fruition. It, it's, it's dropped like a lot of the, the plots in Twin Peaks, so that they hype up at the beginning is going to be this big thing. Uh, it kind of comes to nothing, really. And I do think that's deliberate. I don't think that's a, like a failing or anything on the show's part.
0: No, I think you're right. I definitely think it's deliberate. I, I think that they kind of, they have, and we're, we're going to see characters just kind of disappear. Like, like I said, I completely had forgotten that Donna had a younger sister. Yeah, like in, uh, the, I think in she,
1: the return, you've got characters that show up for five minutes once and then they're never mentioned again. That's quite, quite right. modern. You have all these like meta narratives. Yeah. Sorry, rather than one overarching meta narrative or one big story, you've got like these smaller narratives that um, are different from each other and are unrelated.
0: Right, and and that can work as a detriment to certain uh, forms of media, but it can also work because some people are going to get frustrated with that. Um, Lynch is pretty good at it.
1: It's 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 one of his things. You see it in. um, Mulholland Drive and uh, Inland Empire,
0: right, and and uh, um, also with Lost Highway, um, yeah. which which I think is going to be very interesting. Uh, I definitely need to rewatch. Lost Highway, when we get closer to the return. Um, and maybe you would do me the pleasure of, rec- mm-hmm. of covering Lost Highway with me. But I'm just thinking of that, that jail transformation scene. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, one person becoming somebody else, you know, imagine this being locked up as Bill Pullman, and waking up as a Wow, I don't know his name either. I was going to say, if I had remembered that actor's name, that would have been really, really cool. But I didn't. Um, But you know what I'm talking about. You know, waking up as a completely different person. But I think that certain people that have an issue with ambiguity um, and all the issues of a mystery or all the aspects that are brought up in a story being wrapped up by the end and the conclusion if they don't have that and they know that there's not going to be a continuation of it um it could be a real turnoff for people it's
1: quite dream logic as well which is something that people um don't talk about a lot it's um, where you have like a lot of smaller narratives when you have a dream it's, it's not the one coherent narrative it's going to be a lot of different things going on and they're not going to connect in a, in no. a logical manner and a lot of people turning into other people in dreams happens as well or even opening a door and you're in one room you, you go into a room that you don't expect to be there.
0: And to me I like that. I think it's yeah. very interesting, but I am and I can live with that because I I'm one that, you know, my my formal yeah. education is in psychology, yeah. so to me the the human mind I think is absolutely fascinating and I like you know, I could I know that dream logic could be extremely frustrating for people. Um but, you know, I, I do think that you, our mind is, you know, these synapses are firing for re, for one reason or another. Um, but certain people don't like that. And I always, uh, you know, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus. But um, I can tell you that, you know, if, if, if a movie um, has a very ambiguous ending and, and maybe more questions are left unanswered than get answered... It's not the kind of thing that's going to really appeal to my mom. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, um, a little bit more of an abstract thinker, uh, can appreciate that. And I, I like the benefits of both, too. There, there are certain stories that, you know, if there was no conclusion, no satisfying conclusion, I could get a little frustrated with. But um, like you said, when we're dealing with someone like David Lynch and um again i'm going to th- i'm going to ke- i'm going to do my best to include mark frost um, as much as i bring up david lynch because i you know i think that he his um his contributions get a little bit um a little bit under just overshadowed by mr lynch but i think that there's there they that they have these ideas but they're not written in stone and that when a happy accident comes about, they're willing to kind of work it into the story. And as much as, like, the happy accident with Bob and um, really liking Cheryl Lee's performance or The Llama, just, you know, shoot Naji Cooper a look, um, as much as those thing you know, those happy accidents work and they're going to keep them in the show, I think that you brought up something very interesting, like, in regard to. Um, norma's husband i i think that maybe they had bigger ideas for it and i think they were just like you know what there's there's far more interesting characters and stories yeah. going on at yeah. twin peaks and, and you know I mean, it's,
1: this show will be like a central plot point but in this it's, it's, there's already something more interesting going on multiple more interesting things
0: and i think it's kind of tough it and i think it, it also for that character you know a character like you know norma's husband to kind of come out of left field, you know, not late into the series, but I mean, we've already had um, several hours with some of these characters. He doesn't strike me as one of the more interesting characters that I kind of want to know more about. No, like, I mean,
1: he's I, not Cole. He's not someone that will just blast onto the screen, and we'd happily pay f- to see a spinoff about this character.
0: Right? Like, as like I, I would love to hear. Like, I, I think they should have given Margaret Lanterman her own series, just like tales from the log lady. Just imagine that that she's, she's got an anthology series where each, you know, she introduces a story a la like twilight zone or tales from the crypt. Um, Someone much should make that happen. Maybe maybe you and I should start writing the log lady stories. Yeah, I'm down for that. <laughs> but um yeah, so like I think that, that that's kind of great, but that shows the signs of a good creative mind to say, okay, you know, we gave it a shot, but before we invest too much time in it, kind of let this one just let it go. You know what? There's enough that we've got so much going on in this crazy crazy town. We don't need this other character who's uh you know, not nearly as interesting as half the other people wandering the streets. Um, so, yeah, there's just lots of great stuff in this this um, this episode. It's a real, real solid um, episode. Um, I also think that um, one of the things that um, it just carries through, and I one of the reasons why I love. The return so much is that clearly, um, you know, Lynch did 99% of the writing on the return. Uh, I'm sure he had a little help here and there and and allowed some improv. But for the most part, it was a very uh, singular vision that he had. And it goes it goes back and, and he clearly has such a memory for everything that's kind of come before. Because one of the things that they talk about um, in this in Cooper's dream is that they're talking about the two men, Bob, Bob and Mike, the killers living above a convenience store. Yeah. Um, and they mentioned that as they're headed over to the vet's office and we're going to see this um, that doesn't really get paid off. If memory, if if my memory is correct, I don't think that really gets paid off until the return.
1: I'm um lived really convenience. That comes up in Firewalk with me, but um, it does come up. Yes, it, it yes. definitely does. Like we don't hear it again in season one and two, the original series.
0: No, we see it in Firewalk with me, and then we definitely see it in, in season three, like this whole black and white sequence with this like haunted um, gas station, which is just. Um, you know, it's 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 full on it's fil- it's fil- filmed like a horror movie. And it's so funny. I, I don't get into these these random um, arguments or discussions with people online anymore. But I used to like, you know, when I would try to argue the the f- some of Lynch Lynch's works being horrific or having elements of horror, um, I have a lot of people say I, I, I don't get it. That, that doesn't scare me. And I think it's just because his type of horror is that you really need to sit with the psychological implications of what's happening. It's not gratuitous, although like sometimes he'll put like the racer ba- the racer head baby will will, will frighten you. <laughs> you know that's not an easy thing to look at, it's but really you know it you know,
1: is a cute icon then. But yeah, at the time it is it's scary too.
0: Right, I actually think that the, the I think that baby's much cuter than that um than the lady in the uh, heat heat vents or whatever that that creepy girl with those cheeks yeah uh, um I'm getting way off topic here but um yeah I think that it's a different kind of horror um it's unexpected um, as
1: well you really are at the mercy of the, the director and writer in this because in let's say the the dream sequence in. Zen or the skill to catch a killer. I, I was very nervous watching that scene because I had genuinely had no idea what would happen because it was just so out there and so unlike anything I had seen before. Nah, but I still haven't seen anything like it. And that's what I thought made it really scary.
0: Yeah, you know, it's the unknown. Like it, it, and I always liken it to this is that the unknown is always scary scarier to me. Like we had a, a medical scare a couple of years ago where my mom was rushed to the emergency room with some very um, confusing um, symptoms, very baffling symptoms. Um, she seemed to have been, you know, my mom's one of the most clean cut people in the world, doesn't smoke or drink. And she seemed to have been dosed with LSD. And it turned out it was a um, there was a, a an issue with some of her medication, but the not know until that was solved. The fact that your mom's in the in the emergency room, you know, you know, hallucinating out of the blue, like you would just not think that this would ever happen to your mom. It's the not knowing that is the scary part. Once you know, once you find out what it actually is, you could deal with it and solve it and work on the problem. But that that not knowing always gets to me that's what kills me when someone says um you know if your your significant other says oh we need to talk or i got a call from my landlord the other day i need to see you and i was like "Uh uh-oh what's it gonna be yeah my rent going up yes it is yeah but you know the not knowing it was gonna be like is he selling the house am i being evicted no the rent's going up okay but that not knowing for 12 hours before i talked to him Will drive me crazy, and I think that's what makes Lynch's work kind of horrific. It's the horror of like everyday life, of just like these these random things that could happen, and you know they could be terrifying. Am I making a lick of sense?
1: Um, yeah, totally. And um, it's like you you do lose control as a viewer because with conventional horror movies there are tropes and there are narrative arcs that they follow and a lot of people find horror movies comforting in that way and a lot of people think that um horror movies aren't scary and they're still a really enjoyable it's still a really enjoyable genre but we find the comfort and the familiarity of it and we like the aesthetics and the different kind of stock characters you see in horror films whereas with something like twin peaks it's, it's genuinely scary because we don't know what's coming next
0: right and um Speaking of not knowing what's coming next, some of the other things that we should probably uh, cover before we uh, wrap up this episode is that um, one-eyed Jax is um, mentioned again, um, that there was uh, something that appeared to be a poker chip, I believe that was found in Laura Palmer's stomach. Another, um, another clue from Gordon Cole um, and that it was probably I got to go by my notes here. A bird called Waldo, mm-hmm. um, and of course this this um, this vet being from Twin Peaks can't have a filing system um, like anything else. He doesn't file by species or by owner. It's it it the files are done by the pets' names, which uh, I think is kind of is kind of cute but i could see that if i was a police officer trying to do a police investigation i i I would bang my head against the wall be like really this is this is your filing system um
1: 12 different files on mittens and they're all mittens right
0: yeah like like how many mittens or like cottons or you know mr fluffy are you gonna have um so you know some very interesting stuff here um
1: speaking of animals is the, the weird taxidermy we get a, a close-up shot of a stuffed moose head on the walls and we see a, a bear behind josie as well
0: yes um what
1: close-ups on things that we wouldn't conventionally see close-ups on i mean these are just background props but they're pretty out there
0: and again i think that um kudos to the director um probably looking around some of these sets in the production design and being like like i need to get a close-up of this they kind like, of remind me know. of the
1: commercial breaks within the show itself so we've got invitation to love the soap opera in the show but we also have maybe close-ups of things like pies and coffees and they're they're very well lit they're lit in a different way than the other scenes are in the same episode but um that they, they give the impression that they're commercials
0: yeah you know it, it it gives you like a break from the um the, the craziness of twin peaks and um you kind of yeah you're, you're given a reprieve briefly um there's the random scene i don't know why i got a kick out of it is just like these two people playing tennis at night it's just <laughs> a very random scene um and if you've ever played tennis at night it's It's unusual because you're usually it's usually just you and one other person. There's nobody else watching. Um, But that's just just some of the weird kind of things that draw you into this world. And I think very similar to the close ups of the taxidermy and everything makes it feel like a real lived in world. Like, you know, these people might not necessarily be integral to the plot, but you know, they still exist in Twin Peaks.
1: Um, I heard a cool interpretation that the characters are kind of framed as props eventually. You kind of see, um, like a, a panning camera of um, ornaments and knickknacks somebody has on their um, table in their house, and they, they use the same shots in the characters. It's almost like they're all kind of becoming the same thing,
0: yeah. You know, it's it's um. It's almost chameleon like you kind of adapt or or, uh, i'm trying to think who said it adapt or die or you know you know um that kind of that kind of mentality you know um that that goes on that that a lot of philosophers like to to talk about but um
1: be interesting to see if lynch has ever shot in that way of seeing this he's the creator to are all the characters reduced to these kind of props he moves around that are at his mercy? It would be something cool to look at.
0: I think that the closest that I could, off the top of my head, that he's done something like that is, uh, I believe it started in Inland Empire oh, and means- then became, yeah. its, yes, yeah. um, very clearly, just a very basic set and three little props. Um, and... It's Again. Very,
1: as well, very scary and it, it's quite minimalist in terms of what not not a whole lot happens and not a whole lot goes on on the screen but and yeah it's it's just so uncomfortable to watch
0: it is and i think the reason is because like you said it is so minimalist so your mind well at least my mind when i'm watching something like is just rapidly hitting me with questions like
1: Look, the 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 laugh track as well is is out of place. yeah. Why
0: why are the people laughing? Like and they laugh what, are, whenever what the, is whenever
1: the woman the woman rabbit mentions time.
0: Yeah, like like oh. the, as if time is completely irrelevant. As, as time is a joke um, in this kind of universe. But it just makes me think like, well, how long have they lived in this apartment? And like, who signed the lease? And like, what's the like, the utility the heck, breakdown. Happened, yeah. like, it's just like all these, you know, just like, just something wrong about these rabbits wearing clothing. And, like, it's, it's.
1: I heard yeah, it, it the, it's like Invitation to Love in the way that um, the dialogue is out of sequence. Apparently, it makes more sense if you were to write all the dialogue down and rearrange it. it something is revealed if you do that
0: wow yeah again i i i, I kind I of it
1: is but i'm dying to know what it is so like someday i will do this before i die but uh, yeah <laughs> um
0: yeah that I, that's it makes me even want to see more of the invitation to love to see like what this whole thing pans out with because i think um and we will uh wrap up with these two quick points but i think that i had mentioned Last time we recorded, that um, there was a reoccurring character in The Simpsons called McBain. Yes, and how you he, brought
1: that up again? That's a very cool thing that I didn't know.
0: Yeah, he's it's a it's a, it's a obvious play on Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and throughout the course of uh, multiple episodes, over the course of multiple seasons, um, you would see clips from like people would be flipping through channels and be watching this McBain movie. And it turns out that um, somebody fa- got all these clips and edited them. Like I said, over the course of years, over the course of many episodes and different seasons, um, it actually is a mini movie. It's like eight minutes long, but it tells this entire very Arnold Schwarzenegger-esque movie where he's a cop and you know his partner gets shot on the, the day before his retirement. Um, and he goes through like this, the whole revenge kind of scenario, um, getting back what happened to his partner. But I, I wonder if there's something like that with Invitation to Love. Um, and I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna make a note to see if someone has a, a deconstructed Invitation to Love.
1: I think it'll be um, a Twin Peaks, so just on a smaller scale.
0: I, I think it'll be a cheesier twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> i don't think it'll be nearly as dark i think it'll be very i think it's it's probably the most kind of tongue-in-cheek winking at the audience that i've ever seen lynch kind of do um if 20s were a
1: normal show or conventional show it, would, it might be that Right.
0: If it, I I think that if Twin Peaks was a daytime soap opera mm-hmm. um it would be Invitation to Love. But the fact that, you know, it is a very adult soap opera and I think I kind of made this this point and I didn't want it to be sexist, but I just know that um growing up uh, both my grandmothers loved their stories. They would call them they wouldn't even call them their shows, their stories and they would watch the same, you know, sit um Soap operas, you know, at like noon or one o'clock or two o'clock, early afternoon kind of stuff. You know, uh, as the world turns, all my children, all that kind of stuff. General Hospital, and you know, Twin Peaks was kind of like the um, when the after you put the kids to bed, you know that this is this is the soap opera that um, the parents can watch together. Um, I think it almost highlights
1: of, the fact that like a lot of guys do like soap operas and always did, but they just didn't really admit it. You know, it was saying, Oh yeah, they're for women, but I'll, I'll just watch it. Like I, I'm not enjoying it. I'm ju- I'm just gonna watch it with my wife, and it's like they're they're secretly really enjoying it.
0: Right? Yeah, I I definitely think that so. Um, I, it's similar to the way that I think that you know people often said. I remember because I grew up with them, um, and I wasn't a huge fan. But I, I grew up with kids that were huge fans of professional wrestling, and they used to say that professional wrestling was soap opera for for men, and um. I, I Again, I just think it's a soap opera for a different type of audience. Yeah. Um, like Twin Peaks is a soap opera for a different type of audience, um, and you know you really shouldn't feel um, shame if you enjoy something. not yeah, it's, uh, it's don't a be, weird
1: source know, of shame. That, like I'm glad it, it's not like as much of a thing anymore. I hope it. I hope it's died.
0: Yeah, because like <laughs> because I and, and, and <laughs> I, I I don't even like I I used to use this phrase a lot. I used to use the phrase guilty pleasure a lot and i i don't anymore because i'm like yeah. well you know what
1: but there has to be something good about it if you like it
0: right and and, and who am i trying to impress with the,
1: the, the, you know like as somebody
0: yeah. you know it's gonna be like uh yeah so i happen to like whatever you know it was not a big deal and then uh and then it's just like i shouldn't feel guilty about something that makes me happy like if i like a, a cheesy song. I might not love the band. I might not never go to see them in concert. But I get a kick out of one of their songs. Um, you know, so be it. Um, but um, one thing that we we definitely need to address before we wrap up this episode is the um, arson subplot. That's really starting to. And here comes another bad pun from me. Uh, this arson subplot is really starting to heat up now. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, and uh it's kind of a way that they wanna get they want Josie out. Um and by they, I mean um what's what's her name? And Mr. Horn. Oh yeah, the
1: the the villainous duo, Um what Right.
0: That? They're like it, it's like Natasha and um the other guy from Rocky and Bullwinkle. They're they're oh, yeah. they're they're, they're they're playing like soap. Uh, they're they're playing very villainous soap opera roles, and um, they want to burn down the mill because I believe that he wants to put in uh, new con. He wants to put and he wants the land. Basically, they they want the land, but Josie um, is kind of unwilling to uh, to ne- negotiate. So we do have um, again we're juggling, I mean, kudos to these showrunners and the the writers to keep track of all these different characters and all these different subplots. Um, and you could see that while, you know, why some would just fall by the wayside because they're just not nearly as important or as interesting.
1: I thought Jersey is like, very, like, gothic heroine in that. Like she's got like these secret compartments and passageways that only she knows about. She's spying on people. She, she believes these and um, larger than life figures are out to get her. This paranoia,
0: right? And that's gonna get. We're gonna get more about her background and how she actually ended up in Twin Peaks um, uh, later, either this season or in season two. I'm not sure, but uh, we, we will. A lot of that will get. Um, Kind of um, developed a little bit further. Uh, um, yeah, the whole thing with the 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 um, the mill is it's, it's a little confusing because yeah. we've got um, different owners involved. There's a there's a Josie's ex husband that is dead. Um, he's involved. There's two different sets of books with the numbers. Um, books are getting cooked, um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 becoming more and more a little convoluted. But um, you know, it, it it all will get um, eventually. Most of these questions will get answered, and to
1: um, open up some more.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that um, the speaking of taxidermy, I think one of the Last scenes of this episode is um, a giant taxidermy bear, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, it's very
1: ominous. It's it's almost foreground and um, foretelling her fate.
0: And then we've got um there's an issue with with.
1: It's like the cover the of dominant- a, like a gothic romance novel, isn't it? Where you it like is the animal and the woman <laughs> in front of it running away.
0: Yes, the like the the the. the, the the lost love of Josie. Uh, you know, uh, 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 a rainy night let, lets in a stranger, and they make love in front of her taxi-dirty bear. But um, and then he
1: like is revealed well, to be the bear, and they like he's like a werewolf, right? Yeah,
0: in some weird midsummer type yeah, thing. Was
1: that <laughs> it. it was like if midsummer was like a really weird romance novel. That would be the cover. It kind of is. it kind of is. Yeah. Um,
0: it's, it's it's like a really twisted romance, but um. I guess we another thing that we should mention are these uh, dominoes with yeah. the double threes because we see that, that. Uh, a couple times throughout this episode. We do see it with Norma's husband uh, during his parole hearing. He's got one in his hand. Um, and then I think the episode actually ends with um, Hank on the phone with Josie, and um, he's either – is he holding this domino or is he licking it? He might be licking the domino. Cause I think that Norma's okay, husband. has Yeah. Um, Cause he's, he's kind of playing with the domino during his probation hearing. So um, uh, we're interesting to see where, you know, we've got one eye jacks and then like the, the triple three dominoes. So uh, lots of interesting numerology going on here too, uh, which is another thing that's um, constant throughout um I don't want to say auteurs' work uh, or a heightened director's, but some of my favorite directors. There's a lot of interesting psychology and numerology going on there. Um, uh, Kubrick did it. uh, Lynch has done it. So um, lots of good stuff. So another solid, solid uh, episode here of Twin Peaks. And I'm going to let uh, my, my co-host have the final thoughts here. Uh, Sean, final thoughts for this particular episode?
1: Again, just a really great episode. Uh, we get to see most of the characters and all the genres that Twin Peaks parodies. They're all here.
0: Yeah, and a llama. And so you can't beat that. <laughs> So thank you so much for listening. Um, th- this show has been extremely popular. We got nothing but great reviews. And um, I, I can only speak for myself, but I had the feeling that we would be having this conversation anyway, because I just love, I, I love finding like-minded individuals to talk about TV shows. So I'm so happy to have a great co-host and you, Sean. And I'm so happy that we have an audience and fans that, that to like to check us out. And um we, we, we would be doing this anyway, but the fact that people are listening, tuning in and, and uh, getting a kick out of it uh, really makes my day. So thank you all. We'll be back. Um, hopefully we're going to keep this weekly. We'll be back uh, next week with um, episode five or six, depending on how you, uh, depending on the numerology that you subscribe to. But um Stay tuned to our social media so you can uh, don't miss an episode of Twin Peaks Talk. And um, we'll be back in the Northwest real soon.